Am I on? Can you hear me? Good morning, everyone. They did a great job, didn't they? Mary does a great job. And we also want to thank all the staff and anybody who brought uh, desserts or trays or whatever you may have brought is to support the kids. Uh, we want to thank you for those that support also and for uh, coming to the making VBS a successful week that, we, that they had this week. So thank you all. A story is told of a little boy who once became very frightened in the middle of the night. And as the thunderstorm raged on, he called out to his dad and he said, Daddy, Daddy, come here. I need you in my room. I'm afraid. And his father answered back, you'll be okay, son. Jesus is with you. To which the little boy answered back, I know, Daddy, but sometimes I need somebody with skin on. <laughs> this little boy needed someone to touch to hold him to do that. We're going to talk a little bit about Jesus this morning. We're going to talk about his love and, in, and about a time when he had skin on and, that he, and a time he shared with the, his children. Shall we pray? Heavenly Father, we come before your throne, Lord. I seek your grace. I seek your mercy. I seek your understanding. I seek your Holy Spirit to be present here, Father, for the words that you've given. Pray that the message be conveyed in such a way that I would step out of the way and only you be present. Use us, Father, I pray. Come before us. Help us to see your word, to see how much you love us, to see how much you want us to be in your kingdom, and to see your children come to Jesus Christ. We give you thanks and we give you praise. In Christ's name I pray. Amen. The scripture that Dan read for us is a foretaste. It's the chapter prior to the one that we're going to look at this morning. Our scripture that we're going to look at is in Mark chapter 10. It's the next chapter. Verses 13 to 16. A little background here. Jesus had just came from Judea. He was in Judea and he was arguing with the um, religious, reader, religious leaders at the time about marriage. And the Pharisees were trying to catch him up. They were trying to twist him up and, and catch him about his belief in marriage and about divorce. Because they had received Moses' descript on the allowance of divorce. And Jesus was basically telling them, no, when God created man and woman, he created man and woman forever to never be divorced. They only, Moses was only given that is because of their hearts. And their hearts were cold and they wanted a way out of marriage if they wanted to. As I studied that a little bit, it's a context in which God, Jesus, is supporting the family to stay together as a unit and to support Mothers in particular, because the men at that time would put their wives away for no apparent real reason, just because they didn't want them anymore. And Jesus is saying, no, that is not the way it is. The family is what matters. So that's the context. So they were in this house, and they're talking about this issue, and the Pharisees have left, the religious leaders have left, and Jesus is in this house with his disciples, and they were talking about this, and the disciples had asked Jesus for further clarification and Jesus had given them that, their, that clarification. And that leads us up to what is shared next in the scripture. It says in the, um, Mark 10, 13 through 16. And when they brought little children to him, that he might touch them. But the disciples rebuked those who brought them. But when Jesus saw it, he was greatly displeased and said to them, little children come to me and do not forbid them. For of such is the kingdom of God. Assuredly, I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God as a little child will by no means enter it. And he took them up in his arms 
laid his hands on them, and he blessed them. It's an interesting transition we see here. We have the Pharisees, the religious leaders, being so hostile to Christ that they were trying to catch him, trying to trick him, trying to make him say something so people would no longer follow after him. To a verse now, to a section now that we talk about the simplicity of children and the simplicity of the gospel, basically, of what God is offering to us and what he wants us to know. I'm going to go on to describe and go through this little story, sections at a time, if you will. See, these parents brought their children to Jesus. Why not bring them to the religious leaders? They were the ones that were supposed to pronounce a blessing. But the question as I looked at that is not why would they not bring them, but why would they bring them to the religious leaders? They were very hostile. They weren't no friendly guys. They were kind of mean. They were pompous. They were all about themselves. So why would, these, why would these parents bring their children to the Pharisees? But yet they'd seen what Christ had done. They'd seen how he was. It was also a Jewish custom to bring them. In Luke 2, it talks about for they, uh, to do for him according to what the custom of the law was. The custom of the law was to come to child, generally before the age of 12 or before their bar mitzvah, to have a blessing by the, by the rabbis. And the word brought here is much stronger than the simple term to bring. I'll see if I can example this for you. If I were to say, is Isaac still here? Isaac, you here? No, he isn't here. Well, I'm going to use Isaac as an example. Is he there? I don't need him. I just want to say, Isaac, if, if, Isaac was, if I was to ask Isaac to bring me a bottle of water, Okay. Isaac would probably tramp back into the kitchen, open the, the door of the refrigerator, grab a bottle of water, and he'd bring it up to me. That's a simple bringing something to me. But if I were to say to Isaac, Isaac, next week when you come to church, I want you to bring your piggy bank, and I want to bring all the money that you have and bring it to the church so we can put it in the offering to give it to the kids of Myanmar. Now, you see the difference of the bring there? There's a lot more involved in Isaac than grabbing a bottle of water and bringing it up to me than it is about him bringing his whole piggy bank, that which he was maybe saving up for an iPad or a phone or a bike or something. There's a lot more in that invested. He's got so much more invested in that form of bringing. And that's what we're talking about here. It's a form of dedication, which they would bring these kids, and they were offering them to Christ. Two examples of such things in the Bible was that story of Samuel in the Old Testament when his father Elkanah and Hannah brought Samuel to be blessed. Hannah was barren, and God and she prayed to God, if I would be, have a child, we would give him unto you. And her husband and her wife the, brought Samuel with the sacrifice to the priest, and they had a blessing on him. You also think about Joseph and Mary in the New Testament, who they brought Jesus that he would also be presented to the Lord. And that, we, Jesus, that he would be touched by the priest. When we think of touching, we think of that which we support and what, that which we need in our lives. People need to be experienced touch, don't you? Everybody has a need for touch in their life. This word here means a touch to the, exert the modifying influence upon them, to influence them in some way. I can remember my mom. She was a toucher. She was a hugger. She would not shake your hand. If you reached out to shake your hand, the only thing she'd do is grab your hand and pull you in and give you a hug with it because that's the way she was. She just needed that hugging touch, needed that, that special touch that you feel from things like that. 
And don't we have touch in our society so much nowadays? When someone is sick, don't we reach out and touch them? Even the Bible says to bring the sick to the elders that they may lay their hands on them and pray for them. When someone, when our loved one has passed away, don't they just feel loved and hugged or appreciated when they're hugged? That touch that they feel from the loss of a loved one. When someone has been diagnosed with a bad health condition, you've been diagnosed with cancer, you've been diagnosed with a bad health, you've been diagnosed with some very bad situation, it just feels good to have somebody hug you and hold you and say, it's going to be okay. You're going to get through this. We'll get through this thing. It makes you feel comforted and accepted, does it not? Well, to bring these kids to Jesus was a special touch. These, children, these parents were bringing their children to Jesus for a, a different touch. To Jesus, because Jesus had a hands-on approach in the way he did things. Eight times in Mark, it talks about Jesus either touching someone or they touching him. In Mark 1, it talks about the leper and how Jesus reached out and touched that leper. In Mark 3, it talks about the sick coming to him, and he touched them. In Mark 5, he talks about the woman with the issue of blood and how she touches him to become healed. In Mark 5, again, it talks about the little girl that had died, and Jesus touched her by the hand and raised her. And it talks about the sick in the marketplace, how they came to him and touched him and were healed. It talks about the deaf mute who was, blind, who was deaf, and Jesus put his fingers in his ears and it touched his tongue, and he healed him. We talk about the blind man in chapter 8, how Jesus took him by the hand and gave him his sight again. And we talk about the boy's, uh, chapter 9 talks about a, a mute boy with a spirit, a, a demon spirit, who Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him up. All these times that Jesus touched these folks to lift them up. But God touches us, but Jesus touches us in other ways besides healing, does he not? He touches us spiritually. I think of the story of Thomas when he was called, remember he was called Doubting Thomas, why? Because he didn't believe that Jesus had been raised from the dead. And he said, I will not believe unless I touch his hands and unless I put my hand in his side. And a little later, Jesus appeared to them, came through a door, said to Thomas, Thomas, put your hands in my scars, my hands. Put your hand in my side. And what did Thomas say? My Lord and my God. He touched him. Jesus touched him spiritually, saying, my Lord and my God. When we have truly been touched by Jesus, when he has truly touched our lives, we cannot help but say, my Lord and my God. But the disciples, they weren't getting it. They went on to rebuke these kids. See, they were in this room, they're in this house, and they're talking about this issue of divorce. And now evidently some of the disciples looked out the window and they see all these fathers and mothers bringing all these kids to, to the building. And they must have thought among themselves, we ain't having none of this. this. This can't go down this way. And they go outside and they meet the fathers and they rebuke the fathers. They, they tell them, they give them a warning. A warning of rebuke is like preventing someone, something from going wrong. And I read through commentaries on this and there were several thoughts of what maybe was going on in the disciples' mind. One was that the, maybe the children were being rude and, and disorderly. I, I don't buy into that one because the parents were with the children. So I doubt that they were that rude and, and disorderly coming to Jesus. But, but the disciples maybe thought that they were too troublesome for Jesus. Maybe there were too many for him to handle. And it was such a big crowd and they didn't want him to have to handle that crowd. 
Maybe the disciples thought he was below Christ because he had bigger issues to deal with. He had issues to deal with, with healing kids, with, or not healing kids, but healing people and how he was going to handle those and dealing with the religious leaders. He just dealt with the religious leaders. Or maybe they had a fear that Jesus might rebuke the disciples again for their pride and their ambition. So I believe it's a combination of the last three. At any rate, they were trying to prevent the fathers from bringing their children to Christ. I ask you, has your child ever asked you about God? Has your child ever asked you about Jesus, about going to church? And have you rebuked them by telling them some other reason why they could not go or some reason you couldn't go, some reason you couldn't take them? You made an excuse that you didn't want to go. That in a form is a rebuke of telling children that no, we don't want you to go to church. Did they displease Jesus? Just look what the text says next. Jesus was greatly displeased by the disciples. So he was a little more than upset. The Greek word means he was indignant on them. Kind of reminds me, my mom used to say to Mark and I, we'd get out in the house and get rough in the house and being bad and not being good. And my mom would say, you wait till your father gets home. He's going to take care of this. Just kind of reminds me of that, she would say. But why was Jesus so displeased? If they were only there trying to protect them, why would he be displeased? They weren't there trying to protect them. They had their own agenda. And Jesus knew it. Because Jesus loved the little children. We can look at the examples. We shared some of them just a moment ago about the interactions that Jesus had with children. He healed the mute boy. He, he healed the dying girl. He healed the little child he, in the midst of them. And he, and he took up children in his midst. In the previous chapter, it talks about that. And then they brought little children to him that he would touch them. And he also talked about knowing how to give good gifts to children and your heavenly father giving good gifts to them. See, in the previous chapter, they were on the road, and a dispute rose up among them about who was the greatest. And Jesus told them who would be the greatest. It is those who have a childlike faith. In Mark 9, 36, it said, Whoever receives one of these little children in my name receives me. The disciples missed the point. Because Jesus was trying to teach the disciples that the power or that the, that the kingdom of God belongs to the powerless, like children who are almost who are most welcome. Jesus is here telling the leaders of his ministry that you must not only accept the powerless, but you must recognize that you are powerless as well. We are all powerless before God. God is the only one that's all strength. He is the one that sustains, who gives, who watches, who nurtures. And gives us that strength that we need. We are powerless. But we also see in this, I saw in this, the judgment of Christ. The disciples were wrong. And Christ was calling them out on it. Just because Jesus is loving. And so much in today's society and the music that we hear, it's love, 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 love. Everything's about love. But just because Jesus is loving, and he is it does not mean that he will leave injustices go unpunished. Again, I mentioned the previous chapter 9 that says, uh, but whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to stumble, 
Dan read this for us, it would be better for him if a millstone were hung on his neck and he were thrown into the sea. Do you see the judgment there? It says, if you cause someone to stumble, it would be better for you to have a stone. A millstone was that which you ground up grain with, could be pretty good size, tied onto your neck and thrown into a lake. It would be better for you. That's a judgment. It's a form of judgment. And in our text, it's going to go on to say, does not re- whoever does not receive the kingdom of child as a little child will by no means enter. You see the judgment there? Cause and effect. If you don't receive the kingdom, you, must, you will by no means enter the kingdom. This is clearly judgment. The Bible clearly teaches us that Christ is and he will be our judge. In John 5, it says, but he has given all judgment to the Son. God has given all judgment to the Son. Out and further on in John 5, I can do nothing of my own initiative. As I hear, I judge, and my judgment is just. Jesus is saying, I will be judged someday. And what is it that Jesus is going to judge? What is he going to look down upon? He's going to look down, there are going to be several things, but one of the main issues is going to be the sin in our life. Sin is anything that separates us from God. It could be acts of commission, those things which we do are against God's word, gossip, sexual immorality, impurity, idolatry, hatred, discord, jealousy, rage, envy, drunkenness. Those are all acts, sins of acts of, of commission. Things that we do that God would not have us do according to his word. There are also acts of omission, things we do not do that God would have us to do, like teaching our children about Jesus, about about bringing our children to church, and about watching over them, about helping the poor. And that list can go on and on. Sin is anything we think or do or say or don't do that displeases God. Sin causes us not to want to be in a relationship with Jesus. Sin causes us separation from God. Sin causes us to not want to go to church. Sin causes us to not want to have fellowship with other believers. Sin causes us to not want to pray. And sin causes us to not want to study our Bible. But sin must be dealt with. As hard as this might be to hear, If your sin is not covered, you are bound to an eternity of separation from God. If those acts in our life, those sins in our life have not been accounted for, we are bound, you are bound to an eternity of separation from God. So what is it to belong to God? How do we come to God? In our scripture, it says, for such is the kingdom of God. The word such here means of this kind or of that sort. Most Bibles, when they, and the word is here, most Bibles use the word belongs. In my study, I don't know how many different uh, versions I looked at, must have been 20 or more. All but probably four of them use the word belongs, not the word is as is in the King James Version. And I believe the word belongs is a better translation for the word. It denotes a kind of possession, 
of things which one owns, i.e., he is fit for a share in the kingdom of heaven. The kingdom belongs to those who have a childlike faith. For the Christian, the kingdom is yours now. Do you realize that? The kingdom is yours now. We belong to the kingdom now. And for the non-Christian, for those who don't believe in Christ, what must you do to attain the kingdom? What must you do to be in God's kingdom? The scripture goes on, the verse goes on to tell us and says to receive the kingdom as a little child. You come in faith as a child. Does this mean that, excuse me, does this mean that only children can come to God? No, it doesn't say that. It says, of such as these, meaning a childlike faith. The kingdom of God belongs to those who are like children in spirit. Children who are more apt to express their faith than adults even are. They have no preconceived idea of the kingdom, although they do possess some sin. You take a little boy's toy or a little girl's favorite toy from them, and you'll see sin in action. Or you tell them what to do or not to do that they want to do or don't want to do, you will see sin in action. But kids have a total dependence on us. They depend on us for food, for clothing, for a building to sleep in, for their education. They are in total dependence on their parents. And when we come to Christ, we must come with that same attitude. I found this quote. I, don't, I didn't see who it was attributed to, but I did want to say it's a quote. This is something that I wrote. It says, it's not a case, as we sometimes think, of a child waiting to become a man. It is a case of a man having to become childlike to receive the kingdom of God. See, we come to Christ just as we are. We have nothing to offer. Nothing will bring us eternal life. Not society of status, not church service, not good behavior, or not our good deeds. Nothing that we do will bring us to Christ. And I was thinking through this, I come up with this. This thought came to mind. It says, it will be a, I said, it would be a very sad day for those who rely on their, who die and pass from this life, who rely on their good deeds to get them to heaven. For the belief in those very deeds will be the very thing that will condemn them to eternal separation from God and his kingdom. Did you get that? I'm going to say that again. It will be a very sad day for those who pass from this life, who rely, who rely on their good deeds to get them to heaven. Don't so many do that? You ask them, how are you going to get to heaven? Oh, I go to church. I sing in the choir. I don't kill anybody. I haven't committed adultery. Those are all works-based. Those are not going to get you to heaven. For the belief in those very things, if you believe wholly in that and that's going to get you to heaven, that's going to be the very thing which is going to condemn you to eternal separation from God. Because eternal life is a gift. When you offer a child a gift, what do they do? They take it. And usually with no questions asked. It's in the same way that we have to accept God's free gift for eternal life. God has provided a free gift. And it is in the form of his son. We must love Jesus just as children do. John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. 
And in Romans 9.10 we read, If we confess our, with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Our sin must be dealt with. Uh, John 1.7-9, you have that scripture? Reads this way, But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. And if we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. And if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. There is the gospel in a nutshell, folks. The blood of Jesus Christ, that which he shed for us, that which he came to earth for, will cleanse us from our sin. If we say we have no sin, which is so likely in today's society, everything's about, everything's relative today. It's my truth and what I think is true. And if I don't think it's sin, then it's not sin. That is not true. The day will come when you will stand before God and that sin, the truth will be revealed and that sin will be revealed. But if, and we deceive ourselves. We only deceive ourselves if we say such things. as And the truth isn't in us. But if we confess our sins, if we come before God and we confess our sins, he is faithful and just. And he will forgive us and cleanse us. That is the covering of the sin that I was talking about. Our sin must be covered. Jesus paid a debt for our sin that we could not pay. There's no way we could pay for it. What could we do? How much could we work to get eternal life? There's just nothing we could do. In our reading it says, Then he took them up in his arms and laid his hands on them. This is, expresses a great tenderness of Jesus. He had only been asked to touch them. Remember back in the first part of our sermon? They brought the children that he may touch them. But here Jesus does more. He took them up. In his arms. It expresses like a child picking up like you would a child and tucking him into your arm. Like you would a baby maybe. Tenderly and lovingly. And when we accept Jesus, he wants to take us up into his arms also. Tenderly, lovingly, longingly. He wants to make us his own. Does he not? So why would Jesus want to take up these children? I contemplated this for a little bit, and a couple thoughts came to mind. It says he, he was once a child, right? Christ was once a child. And his father and mother, he can remember the days. Perhaps he remembers the days of his father and mother. I don't know if you're like me. I don't remember anything much younger than 20. Oh, I mean, then five, five or six, maybe. But maybe Christ, because he was also God, and he was also man. Perhaps Jesus remembers back to the days when his own parents held him. Perhaps he remembers back and he reflects upon the time when they took him to the rabbi and Zechariah blessed them. Perhaps he remembers that. Or perhaps he remembers when he was 12 years old and he was in the sanctuary, he was in the, the, with the people in the, in the synagogue teaching them. And his parents came, figured out he wasn't, remember his parents were leaving town and he didn't go with them and then they had to come back and get him. And he was in there preaching them. His mom and dad basically scorned him. Look what you've done. We were looking all over for you. We couldn't find you. They're basically scorning Jesus a little bit because, of their, uh, because they were looking for him. And they didn't know where he was. Perhaps Jesus remembers back to that moment and how it felt to be scorned even. 
but he holds children in high regard. Back then, society marginalized children, and they were of little value, but not for Jesus. You see, we are all God's created beings, and we all started out as children. We were not born adults. We were born as children. We are gifts from God. God has given his pleasure in allowing us, bringing us here. And he blessed them. It's a stronger word than just simple form of blessed. It expresses an earnestness of Christ. The word they're using here is eulogio. I don't know if I'm pronouncing it right, Todd, but it's something like that. It says, it, where we get our word, eulogy. It means a good word. To give a reason which counters a benefit, which confers a benefit, hence it provides a blessing. In John 1, 1, it says, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. Here we have Jesus who was proclaimed to be the word, pronouncing a word on these children, providing a blessing to them. We have no idea what happened to these children after this. We do know that Jesus did bless them. And I know and I believe whatever Jesus touches, good things happen. And I expect that these children went on to become great leaders, great followers in the Christian faith later in their life. Because Jesus had touched them this moment. He had come to them. So how do we apply this to ourselves? First, I want to talk to the believers. Have your children been blessed by the Lord? This also applies to grandparents, aunts, uncles, friends. really applies to us all. Are you concerned about your child's eternal life? That's the reason we have VBS here, because we are concerned. We are concerned about their life and their well-being and that they're going to go to heaven. They're going to be in God's kingdom someday. Do you want the Lord someday to ask you, why did you not bring your children along with you? Do you want God to say to you, did you pray that God would bless your counsel to them? Did you pray that? Did you tell them that your own sorrows and of your own destruction, your fear of destruction, did you share that with them? Do you want God to say, what did you do for their souls? The first duty of every parent to his child is to confer on him the Lord. I'll share a story. I wasn't going to share this story, but time is allowing me to share this story. When my son was about five or six, and my daughter was probably eight, seven or eight, they were out playing in the sandbox. And my daughter came in, and she said, Dad, Dad. Caleb just gave his life to the Lord. And I said, well, that's good. She, yeah, he said, we were playing in the sandbox and we were talking about Jesus. And she said, I asked him, do you want Jesus to come into your life? And, G and he said, yes, I do. And so she prayed with him. She came into the house and gave me the story that she prayed with him. But I didn't do much about it. I didn't try to build his faith. I didn't read the Bible to him as I should have. I didn't pray with him as I should have. I did bring him to church. We did bring him to Sunday school. But I was so busy trying to do other things, work. 
And, and these are excuses. These aren't good reasons. But I left them high and dry, basically. And that's not the way we should do with our children. And as a result of my lack of being a good parent, Caleb strayed. And he went away for many, many years. He struggled with life. He struggled with the military. But I praise God. And I thank God that Caleb gave his life to the Lord here a couple years ago. Through no... Through nothing that I did, believe me, it was a bad situation happened to him, and he just fell into God's arms and loved God, and he loves God now. And I praise God for that. But it's our duty as parents. I give you this story only because I know what can happen. You don't want your children to go through that. A time in their life when they're wandering and they're straying and they're lost and they don't know what they're doing. And then they search for things that are wrong, search for things that are, that are not there. You don't want your children in that place. It's not a good place to be. Do we have faith like children? Do we have faith like children do? Do we realize that we are powerless? Or are we as the disciples were, acting outside of his will and doing what we think he wants? Not what he wants, but what we think he wants. Are you seeking the touch of Jesus today? Perhaps you're here and you've received bad news. You've had a bad health report. You've had a job loss. You had a loss of a loved one. Or I think probably more people are in this boat. Are you here because you're just down and out in the spirit. You feel far from God. Perhaps that's the place you're at today. The scripture says, come to me, all you who are labor, and have a heavy burden, and I will give you rest. Do you love Jesus with all of your heart? Finally, for the non-Christian, the non-believer, what brought you here today? Was it your child, your grandchild, your niece, your nephew, a friend of the family? Is that why you're here? Or maybe your spouse made you come. You'd rather be out playing nine. Or perhaps Jesus brought you for your soul's sake. Maybe you don't realize it. Are you here to seek the touch of Jesus? Perhaps you realize that you are not heaven bound this day. Jesus wants to touch you. And what about your soul? Jesus has a free gift of eternal life available for you now. It not need be something complicated as some places make it, all these rituals and stuff. We just come with a childlike faith. You just need to accept him in a childlike spirit. Maybe you've been rebuked. Something that successfully kept you from Christ. Perhaps you were, had a bad experience with another believer. Perhaps you had a bad experience with a church. I know my son did, and he did not grace the doors of a church for many, many years. He would not go because he had a rebuke. Somebody rebuked him at the church because of the way he looked. And he, he didn't come back again for many years. Perhaps you're in that place. 
I hope not. Have you forbidden Jesus' presence in your life? Do you want the kingdom to belong to you? Do you want to belong to the kingdom? Have you come to the place in your life where you wonder if you're going to go to heaven or not? Whether you're going to go to see king, go to God's kingdom. If not, the kingdom of God is such as little children. Jesus wants to touch you. Now is the acceptable time. I'd like to share in closing a little story that I found in J.C. Sproul, or J.C. Ryle's book called Holiness. And the chapter is on love, the love of Jesus and how much he loves us. And he has, gives a story. It says, uh, a thoughtless, ungodly English traveler said to a North American Indian convert, man, what is the reason you make such a thing of this Christ and talk so much about him? What has this Christ done for you that you should, be, that you should make such a big deal and the converted Indian did not answer him for wor in words. Instead, he gathered up some dry leaves and moss and made a ring with them on the ground. He picked up a live worm and put it in the middle of the ring. And he struck a light to set the moss and the leaves on fire. And the flame soon rose and heated and scorched the worm. It withered in agony, and after trying in vain to escape on every side, it curled up itself in the middle as if it was about to die in despair. And at that moment, the Indian reached down forth his hand, and he gently took up the worm and placed it to his bosom. Stranger, he said to the Englishman, do you see that worm? I was that perishing creature. I was dying in my sin, hopeless, helpless, and on the brink of eternal fire. It was Jesus Christ who came forth with his power. It was Jesus who delivered me from the hand by his grace, and plucked me up from everlasting burning. It was Jesus who placed me, a poor sinful worm, near the heart of his love. Stranger, that is the reason why I talk, to Jesus, talk about Jesus and make such much of him. I am not ashamed, for I love him. Shall we pray? Heavenly Father, we praise your name. We give you thanks for the love. We thank you how you've made a way for us to come to you. We thank you that it is not so complicated. We trust in you. We believe in you. We believe in the sacrifice you made, the blood that you shed. You died on a cross. You rose again from the grave that we may be in your kingdom. For those who here, Father, that are in your kingdom, we give you praise and glory. May we love you more each day. And for those here, Father, that perhaps do not know you, and are struggling to figure out their life. They're in a bad place, Lord. I pray for their soul, that your spirit would reach down to them and touch them, that you would draw them to yourself, help them to realize that without you, they will, they will serve an eternity separated from God. Help them, Father, I pray in this moment. We give you thanks for your love. We praise you. We glorify you. In Christ's name. Amen.